0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 Community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Do you remember when you were little and you first got to do a coloring page as a kid? So, usually your parents or someone, they get you a book or a page or happen to school or somewhere, and they put this coloring page in front of you and it's going to be like a flower or a sunset or something like that, and then you would color. And I don't know if you remember this exactly, but if you've been around enough kids, you know, at some point in your adult life, you've, you've observed this, but um, you really suck at it at first, Right? Like, they put a crayon in your hand, or a crown, if you call them a crown. I don't know. I don't, some of you call it. I don't understand that. Crayon in your hand, and you, and you color it, and you're, like, all over the place. You're, like, you just take that red, and you're just, like, and he's, like, look at my picture, and you're, like, great, you know, that's amazing how you did that. You colored over everything, and it's, and, and, and you don't hang, as a parent, you don't hang those on the fridge, I mean, maybe you did. I don't know. We, I don't think we did with our kids because they're, they're kind of terrible. Like, you're way outside the line. It's like you weren't even trying to, like, color anything approximating the picture. As you get older, as you get more mature, you start to color inside the lines and inside the framework that has been laid out for you on the page. And it's like, oh, oh that's pretty good. Like, well done, you know. And, and it starts to actually look like something and look good. Um, that, that is not just true of coloring. That is true of a lot of things of life. There is a, a given framework, a, a set of rules to, 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 to stick to. And when you stick inside of those rules and inside that framework, good things happen. When you go outside, bad things happen. Like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of soccer. I love watching, um, the Premier League and the World Cup and all that. And it, one of the things I like about soccer is the simplicity of it. There aren't a lot of rules, one of, but one of them is you can't use your hands. Everybody knows this. It's a foot game, right? You can't use your hands. So if, if a soccer player during the World Cup or something, if the ball was kicked to him and he got near the goal and he just grabs it out of the air, not the goalkeeper, but anybody else, grabs it out of the air and then just runs to the goal, knocks somebody over and just throws the ball into the goal and then runs around celebrating, everybody would be like, what are you doing? Like... That's not... I don't care how good the throw was. I don't care how strong you are, how fast you ran. It's not impressive because that is not the framework of the game. The game only works when you keep the ball at your feet. You start grabbing it like that, now we're not even playing the same game. Like, that's dumb. The reason we like Lionel Messi is because he can do amazing things with the ball at his feet. That's what's so impressive, right? It's true about coloring. It's true about sports. It's true about music. When you you sit down at a piano... um, it's, it's a great thing when someone has learned music and they sit down and they play something like that. That's amazing. Now, anybody can sit at a piano and bang out some notes. You can bang on the thing, and kids do, and whatever. But unless there's a framework around it, unless you're playing in a particular key signature, of which there are 12, one of the 12 key signatures, if you're playing in there or if you're playing you know in a certain meter, a certain time signature, those kind of things, at a certain tempo, when you put all of those things together in that framework, it becomes music, and that's a good thing. We like that. But when someone's just banging on it outside the framework of music, it's just not that great. It's not that great to listen to. And and I think this is true of a lot of things of life. There are parameters around things. There's a framework around things. And when we stay within those parameters and within that framework, we can really create some fantastic things. Um, and when we just try to decide that there are no parameters and there is no framework around things, then we create some things that are not so fantastic, and it just can end up being like noise. And we try to put it up on the fridge and say, isn't this amazing? It's like, actually, that's not amazing. You're, you're way outside the framework. And I want to talk today um, uh, uh, about the framework that is around sex. Um, sex and... Uh, woo. And... Uh, <laughs> And sexuality, uh, identity, gender, like all of these things are a really big topic in American culture, and so I want to talk about them and and, and talk about the purpose uh, uh, of those, because I, I think the purpose around all of that stuff is not something we make up. It's not just like, oh, there's no framework at all. Let's just do whatever we want to do. Um, it, there, there is a framework around sex and sexuality that is given to us, I, I believe, by the Lord, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, and, it, and I think it's, it, it works best for us um, when, we, when we stay within the boundaries that God has designed. Now, we're doing a new series starting today, and we're, we're going to talk about relationships, uh, healthy relationships. And, and one of the reasons... Kind of two main reasons we're doing this. One is, people really long for healthy uh, communication, communion, connection with other people. Uh, We we are we are designed to 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 be interdependent, to to want one another, to need one another, to connect with one another. We're designed for this. We are not designed to be completely solo people. Um, And so the the. That desire is universal, not just in marriage and dating and all that, but just in friendship and everything. Like, we are designed for community, and so we want to talk about that. And because one of the things we've seen over the last year with you know, different things that happen over lockdowns and challenges with extended family and political divisions and all of that kind of stuff is, it, it, you see a, a fragmenting of, of relationship. And there's been a lot of that over the last year. People are, have, have ripped apart in some ways. There's been churches that have ripped apart, communities that have ripped apart. Um, families are estranged from, from one another. I mean, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff over the last year. And so we want to talk about it. Some people uh, locked down with their spouse, and they thought that was going to be a great thing, and it wasn't. And I, and, and I, know, I, I know marriages that have struggled over the last year. So we want to talk about um, things like sex, because it's a, a, a big topic in, in some kinds of relationships. And we want to talk about marriage a bit. We'll talk about singleness. We'll, we'll get into all of this um, over the next five weeks or so. And the other reason we're jumping into this is because... Uh, we have been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth in about the year A.D. 54. And in this letter, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we're, on, we're, we're now at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in chapters 5 through 7 is a lot of stuff that, that deals with those kind of topics, marriage and singleness and sex and all that. And, and in some ways, it's some of the most, to at least to a modern reader, it's some of the most controversial stuff uh, written in the New Testament. And um, I, I want to get into it. Now, and the point of this and reading it is not to be controversial. Uh, the point of reading it and discussing it is because we want to be disciples of Jesus. And we want to follow him and follow, you know, the, the, the teachings of, of the New Testament. And we want to follow as best that we can. And that means we need to look at all of the things. Following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is not just about praying or fasting or having faith or being generous or being kind or serving or any of those things. I mean, all of those things are good. But following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus affects our entire lives. It's about how we live. It's about how we take care of our body. It's about sex. It's about money. It's about power. It's about um, guilt. It's about like all of these things. Like we need, to, we need to look at all of these things closely if we're going to truly be disciples of Jesus. And so um, this series is, is, is going to get into some of those uh, things. So to start with, with this idea, and we'll, we'll do this for this week and we'll do more of this next week. But these ideas around like sex and gender and identity and and sexuality and all of that, um, I think we first, before I jump into the scripture on this, I think we need to talk a little bit about um, the water that we're swimming in uh, as a culture so we understand. Because when I say something like sex, everybody already comes preloaded with lots of ideas about that, strong ideas about it. So it's not like, I, I don't say that word, and, and everyone's like, what's that? I don't know. I've never thought about that. I've, like, we all have something, right? So I want to talk a little bit about where we're at as a culture with this idea, and we'll, we'll do a little more of this next week. Uh, I want to talk about the, kind of the water we're swimming in. You may have heard... Um, it's really a famous speech, and it's, it's quite good. David Foster Wallace, in 2005, gave a graduation speech to the Kenyan College, and the title of his speech was called, This is Water. And he starts by telling this little parable about fish, and it, maybe you've heard it. It basically goes like this, that two, two young fish are swimming along in the water, and an older fish kind of swims by them, and as they're passing each other, the older fish looks at the younger fish, and he says, how's the water, boys? And the two younger fish kind of go swimming along and, and, and for a moment, and then... Eventually, one of the, the, the younger fish, one of them looks at the other one and he goes, what the heck is water? And the idea was, right, that, that we are swimming in something and, and we're in it and, in, and, and we don't even recognize that it's there. The older fish recognized, he had the wisdom to know that we actually are in something, but, but when we're swimming in it, we don't necessarily know that it's there. So I wanted to talk a little bit about when it comes to sex and sexuality, those kind of things, um, how did we get here? We all have ideas about those things, but how did we get them, and what are they in our culture? What are the assumptions that have been handed to us by culture, um, how, how, how do, and how do, we, how do we get them? Um, we, we have beliefs about morals and ethics and values and obligations and those sort of things. And, and if you look at the history of the world, and, and this isn't me as the older fish telling younger fish about the water, like I'm learning this as I'm, as I'm going and, and I've been reading up on this stuff and reading from some wise, trying to read from some wise people on this. And one of the things I, I was reading, they were, they were pointing out that historically, morals and ethics and values... Um, in the ancient world, you might say they come to us from the gods or, like, fate or something like that. The, the oracle of Delphi says this, and therefore we believe this. And so we would, we would take our cues from the gods or fate. Um, after that, you had sort of a Judeo-Christian ethic in a lot of the Western world where our beliefs, our ethics, our values are determined by God and given to us by the Scripture. This is what God says, therefore we live underneath that. And then recently, and I'm talking about in the last 200 years, we have shifted away from my values, my ethics, my beliefs are determined by something else out inside of me that the world has sort of got this idea and it's giving it to me. And we have shifted to this idea that I create reality. I create what is good, what is right, what is moral, what is ethical. I decide for me and my, my people or whatever. Um, we, get, we all get to choose. Now, this started... About 200 years ago, uh, if, you, if you go back and trace the philosophers that kind of got us going on this, it's people like Rousseau and Hegel and Foucault and, uh, and Nietzsche, um, they kind of moved away from the world has meaning baked into it, and you are supposed to live underneath the meaning of the world, and they moved us to, no, you create the meaning as, as you go. Individuals create it. We all decide things um, for, for ourselves. Uh, ethical things. And so uh, they, they, they brought us down that road. And then it, really in the last 10 years, if you add in on top of that things like media, social media, smartphone, advertising, all of it is designed to teach people. And, and I think in the Americans and in the West, we, we feel this maybe more than anyone. We have been taught that you are the center of the universe. And that is really a new idea in the history of the world, that, that you create meaning, that it is all about you. And you can see why we did it from an advertising perspective, because if I can get you to believe it's all about you, you'll buy my product and because I'm selling the thing that's for you. But this applies not just to advertising, it's, it's all sorts of things. When we have everything catering to our individual preference, you can see how this leads us to a world where we believe that we can create reality and we can manipulate reality. Reality is not something we have to live to, like it's objective and we just line up with it. It is something we get to create, and if we don't like it, we will make virtual reality. We'll make a a separate version. Um, We get to create reality according to our own will and desires rather than it being something that we have to conform to. I'm just describing the water, okay? I'm just describing. Before we talk about sex, we need to understand this. It's a little bit like... Uh, the Truman Show. Do you remember that movie with with um, Jim Carrey? I was gonna, Drew Carey, different guy. Jim Carrey. Um, <laughs> Cleveland Rocks. Uh, Jim Jim Carrey is in the Truman Show. If you remember that movie, he's the star of the show. Um, and and in some ways, we have we have moved towards a, a, a worldview where we are the star of our own show. But not only are we the star. If you remember, Ed Harris played like the director-producer of the Truman Show, and he kind of lived up in the moon, and so he would be up there, and he would direct everything that's happening. Not only are we the stars, but we are the directors and producers of our own show. We are kind of everything a- a- around it, and that's, that's kind of where we're at as a culture. Now, that's just about how we view ourselves and what we think about how we create reality. Um, now let's talk about where sex fits into that. A lot of our culture's views on sex were, were actually traced their roots back to Sigmund Freud. Uh, you've probably known that in any study that you ever did on Sigmund Freud. You go, that guy was obsessed with sex. Yes, he was, very much so, and, and took it to an incredible level. And, and truthfully, um, a lot of the things that Sigmund Freud taught and believed have since been disproven and discredited. But that doesn't mean they didn't still land in the social imagination, and that we that we still kind of believe them. He he taught a lot about sex and about how um, kind of the main struggles of life are about sex and getting enough sex, and obsession with sex, and and oppression. The idea that that you can have these sexual things that are repressed in you, and that's going to come out, and that you have attraction that goes all the way to your childhood, and your you know you're, you're you're attracted to your mother, and like all of this stuff um, that we get. Handed to us from Sigmund Freud, and if and if the philosophers that came before him, Rousseau and Foucault and these various people, if they um, told us that the the world is really about you, uh, Freud took that the world's about you and said it is about you, and that at the center of you is sex. So he took sexual preference ideas, uh, the desire for sex, and made it uh, not only are you the center of the world, but the most important thing about you. Is, is sex. Um, and, and so that's kind of how we got there this is kinda, as, a, as a culture. This is the water that we're swimming in. And we have pinned morals and values and ethics and obligations and sex. We have pinned all of that onto ourselves and our, our own individual preferences. And because we're pinning things... Like that, to our individual preferences, we we end up fighting with one another a lot over these things, and have a lot of challenges in culture because our individual preferences inevitably are going to come into conflict with each other. Now, the church at Corinth in in the New Testament that Paul writes to, in the Roman Empire in the first century, is going to have is going to come out of a culture that has very libertine views on sex. They're they're very um, sexually. We would we would even say like, whoa, that's a little much, right? Like. The, the way they the way they viewed sex in the, in the first century, um, men in that culture would typically have a wife to for the purpose of making children, and then you'd have a, a maybe a mistress on the side for the purpose of just having sex for fun, and then you would have uh, maybe a sex slave like a, a which would often be a boy or or a young person uh, as as a sex slave that you would have, and then um, in addition to that there would be. Temples to visit in kind of the, the the larger Roman culture, where you would go see a, a sex prostitute as a way of worshiping. Um, in Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, uh, and the way you would worship Aphrodite is to to have sex with a temple prostitute there. Um, it's actually the origin of our term "aphrodisiac" comes from that that thing. So, so, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that is the water they are swimming in, uh, highly sexualized. Uh, culture with a, a lot of a lot of stuff going along, and then Christianity comes along in the Roman Empire and lives different to all that, and actually challenges all that and and really reshapes a lot of the ethic around marriage and sexuality uh, for for millennia after that so first corinthians let me let me pick it up. We talked about judgment a lot last week and and where that was. Paul will talk about that more in 1 Corinthians 5. I'm not going to get too much into that. But I want to start where he he starts, 1 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 1. He says this, It is actually reported, so remember he's responding to what he's heard is going on at the church in Corinth. says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay, there's a word that's going to come up a lot, sexual immorality. In Greek, this is the word, because this is written in Greek. We're trying to approximate a Greek word with an English word. This is what we do with Bible translation. And so the English word that words we're getting is sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, if we're going to do it in English, pornea, Earlier than the New Testament, the word pornea meant to sell. So it was referring to prostitution, um, selling of sex, that kind of thing. Um, By the time the New Testament is written, the word pornea has a broader usage, and it means everything outside of sex, like in a marriage context. So it would be... it would be bestiality or it would be adultery like you would think of, of adultery. Sometimes it's translated as fornication. It would be homosexuality. It would be uh, all sexual relationships outside of the context of marriage is, is kind of this, under this blanket term of pornea, uh, which, which translates in English as sexual immorality. And there's a type of that that he's describing. He said, so you've got someone in the church who is sleeping with their stepmother, and he's like, even the Romans think that's a little too much, you guys. Like, whoa, stop it. And, and, and he said, and then he says, and you're arrogant about it. In the church, you're sitting there going like, I mean, it's fine, you guys, whatever. Like, we're free in Christ. We have grace. We have freedom. It's fine. It's good. This is what they're doing, you know. That, that's cool. And Paul's like, actually, no, this is, this is really not cool. There's, there's a and it's, it's, it's interesting to me that there was a moral line, even in the pagan world, that even even the pagan world, they're like, yeah, that's, that's actually um, out of bounds. And I would say that that moral line, you're not supposed to sleep with your stepmother, that he's criticizing there that they're holding the Roman world. Basically, we, help, we still have that as a taboo in our culture today and say that's a moral line you're not supposed to cross, unless you're like, I don't know, writing an editorial for the New York Times. But other than that, uh, most people would go, yeah, that's probably out of bounds. And Paul says, you're not supposed to celebrate this. You should be mourning this. You should, this is broken. Like, what are you doing? This is not clever, This is not, oh, it's diversity, and and look at the diversity we have, and we have people who do all kinds of things. This isn't, Paul doesn't say, it's fine, you guys, you just, you do you, and you decide whatever you want to do, and that's fine, whatever's going on, whatever consenting adults want to do in their bedroom, it's a free society, you just, whatever. He goes, no, this should make you sad. Don't let your heart become so corrupted that you just can't even see how bad this is and how broken this is. This is what what he points us to. Now the rest of chapter five, he's going to expound on that a little bit, and 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 really, um, it, it's a lot about judgment that we talked a little bit about. We read some of it last week, and kind of give the idea that like a bad ap- in the church, like a bad apple can spoil the bunch. That 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 sort of idea is what he gives. Um, but he picks up on sexual immorality again in chapter six, and I want us to uh, look at it because he's going to criticize their current cultural attitude about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Listen to what he says. He quotes them. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. All things are lawful. This is a, a, a phrase they would have used to say, like, man, I can, it's basically saying, I'm a grown man here. I'm a grown woman. I can do whatever I want. Anything's allowed." I'm free. I don't have to follow all your stodgy, old, dusty rules of morality and ethics. Like, I can do whatever I want. All things are lawful. And Paul says, well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. But some things are kind of stupid, right? Now, we should know this. We know this, right? If you—let me put it in a different context— when you're 20, drink all the Mountain Dew. Just drink it. Just have it. When you are 40, you need to stop with the Mountain Dew. <laughs> right? Because you know, like, you, 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 had a, you had a sense that this, like, glowing green drink is probably not good for you. There's a sense of it. You're like, hey, ah, it's probably not good. But, like, you pay for it as, as you get older. You're, when you're 20, and you're going to be like, I'm going to pull an all-nighter. I think that's a good idea. And the next morning, you just get up and you're like, well, you know, I'm fine. Uh, when you're 40, 30, when you're 30, I mean, when you're 35, like, it's not a great idea. Like, you can do it, but you know you're going to pay for it, right? That, like, we know that the, the way the body works and the way life is, that there, there are things that it's like, yes, you can do that, but that's not actually going to be a great thing for you. It's not going to go well. And so Paul challenges us. Yeah, all things are lawful, but not all things are good. And then he quotes them again, verse 13. Let's read on. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's a quote. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know... That he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He gives us he, he gives a little quote, "Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food." Um, this is their culture's way of saying. It's just natural. So even about something like sex, they would just say, it's natural. It's just whatever you want. Food is meant for the body, the body's fruit. You. you. get hungry, you eat. You want to have sex, you have sex. That's just what we do. It is natural. It is like, um, it is like you, you have an itch, you should scratch it. It's basically that. This is a very normal, natural thing. Like, don't make it any more than that. And Paul goes, no, the body is more than that. Our uh, our culture says sex is it's just an urge, it's just something to be scratched. And our culture actually has been doing this more and more over, over recent years. Our culture has been trying to separate the body and the mind. To say, well, your body is this, but your mind, your thoughts, your, your brain is something in, in, entirely different. And we've sort of bifurcated people and said, you're physically this, but you are mentally, emotionally, spiritually something completely different. Um, An example of that is gender dysphoria in our culture right now. Um, The the rise of gender dysphoria over the last dozen years or so, where where people are saying, um, I am a male, but I identify as a female. What are we saying? We're saying the mind and the body are separate. Um, My body may be this, but my mind is something uh, completely different. Um, or, Or we do this with sex. We say sex is just physical. It is just a physical expression, a sensation. It is not connected to my soul or my emotions or my mind. Like, not really. It's like it's just an urge. It's just an itch to be, to be scratched. And, and I would argue, and I think Paul is arguing here as well, that that is just not how we're made. That's just not how people are. The mind, body, and soul are all wrapped up together. It's not like, and it's not like the soul is valuable, the mind is valuable, but the is not. The body's just dirty. It doesn't really matter. No, they're, they're all interrelated. And in fact, our body should be a clue to our minds in some cases. Uh, I, I, have, um, I have known a, f- a few people who have dealt with gender dysphoria and, and, and walked through, you know, transgender transitions and those sorts of things. Um, and it's it, it's complicated. It's difficult. Um, and one thing I always keep coming back to in, in my mind was um, as I've sort of looked at my own self in, in regards to that, that kind of conversation, I'm like, okay, do I, do I, am I a man? Well, yeah. Do I feel like a man? I don't know. Not, not necessarily. I feel like a person in there. I don't know how you feel when you look in the mirror. Like, there's a person in here. Um, but, I, but when, I, when I go, well, am I a man? I, I look to the body for clues and go, oh, okay, yes, I, I am. I, like, I, I, that's, that's, what, that's actually what I am. Um, and so the body can inform the mind. The body can inform the heart. The body indicates to me that I am male. Now, if I don't feel it, um, that's where I need to check myself. Uh, because I don't feel some things all, you know all the time. There's... Good and bad, and feelings come and go, and feelings are not are meant to be guides in some ways, but not they're not meant to be gods that dictate all of our behavior and actions. Um, so, so we we need to think about this relationship between the body and the mind, and actually put them together as Paul does. He says, "Man, if you're if you're if you're having sex with a prostitute, you are you are combining something very deep there, not just your parts." There's something bigger going on here. So the framework that God gives around sexuality that I think Paul is alluding here is is just three things and then we're done. Number one, sex is a good gift from God with a dual purpose. The purpose of sex is, and I don't know if this is going to shock anybody, is to make children. That's what it's for. This is the design of it. It is a creative thing that we do where we combine elements that God has given us and recombine them in a new way to make something. And it's actually pretty fantastically incredible of how that works. Like, it's amazing. But that is the purpose of it. A secondary purpose, and this is from Scripture, a secondary purpose would be sex is designed to bond a couple together in marriage and draw them closer in, in intimacy and, and is something to be... Um, celebrated and, and enjoyed in, in, that, in that context. Um, and when we, when we take sex outside of that context and say kids don't matter in this and uh, marriage doesn't matter in this, it's really just recreational and fun, um, our bodies pay for that in, in various ways. Um, I, I taught on this years ago on the, in this stage and, and I, um, I used this quote and I want to use it again uh, Because it comes from Cosmo magazine. And, uh, you know, because it'd be very easy for you to hear what I'm saying and go, that's just like uptight preacher, the Bible, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, prudish, it's Puritan, whatever. Um, Listen to Carol C. what she wrote in Cosmo about how we use our bodies in sex. She says this, what does this all mean? What it means, I think, is that despite the pill, legalized abortion, and economic freedom... Our bodies are trying to tell us something. They don't necessarily want to be tossed around like lost luggage on an around-the-world plane trip. That's why maybe after a long night of good times with some guy, you go out for coffee in the kitchen in the morning, and something someplace inside your body feels like it could cry, feels like it could die. And it's not your body feeling bad, and it may not even be your heart. It's in the vicinity of your lungs, your solar plexus, Where some Eastern religions say, your soul resides. What is she getting at? I think she's getting at something like what the Apostle Paul is saying. That there is something deeper going on here in sexual relationships. And you can't just throw that out to everybody and think that that's going to go well for you. Um, there's, There's something much more than a physical thing going on here. And we need to be careful with it. Listen to Paul again. Uh, He says this in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Number two, sex is meant to be experienced within the context of marriage. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Run away from this because it's not going to go well for you when you are giving yourself out like this to other people and outside of the context that God uh, designed it. Run away from sexual immorality. And if you're going to run away from something, you need to run towards something. And what we run towards is is sex within the context of marriage. Um, Context matters, okay? If I said there's a fire in your house right now, well, we need some context on that, right? Because if, if, if there's a fire in your house right now and it's in a fireplace, that's good. It warms the house, crackles. It's fun to look at. If there's a fire in your house and it's in the kitchen, not as good, right? Hey, there's a fire in your house on the furniture. That's not good. Same thing. It's, both, it's all fire, but context matters. And, and, and this is one of the things the Scripture points us to, the, the context for Sex, the framework around it, um, it, it matters. And when you move outside of the context, you lose um, lose the good things about it. Sex within within marriage is creative. It is procreative. It makes something. Um, it is also done in the context of safety and trust and giving, not just receiving and building commitment. Um, it, it has those things around it. When you take it outside the context of and the commitment of marriage, sex then becomes um, something that can be unsafe without trust, without the commitment around it. It becomes all of these other things that, that puts it into not a good context for us. And so when God puts a framework around sex, He doesn't do it to ruin our fun. He does it because He knows how it works, He knows how we work and he, and he's putting a framework around it for our joy for our good he goes i know how powerful this is keep keep it in this context and then it will go better for you so that's Number, number one, I, w- I want you to understand that. And number two, I want to say this because I, apparently preachers have never said this or something, I don't know. I keep reading these articles about how Christians grew up in the purity culture of the church in the 1990s and they're like scarred forever because some youth minister got on stage and said to the teenage youth group said, if you wait to have sex until you're married, it's gonna be amazing. That is not true. So let me just say that. Okay? Um, Yes, sex belongs within a context and it belongs within the context of marriage. That is not a guarantee that it's amazing. Okay? Sometimes it's regular. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's frustrating. It is not like a blank check of amazing. I don't know who told anybody that. It was probably some loose lipped youth minister back in 1998, and people still are hearing it. I just want to set the record straight. This is not a guarantee of bliss for the rest of your life. It just isn't. It's got challenges. It has ups and downs, good and, good and bad part. Like, it, it's, it's not perfect. So I, I think we need to recognize that. But it is within the context that God calls us to, and there's some really great things about that. Um, so that's that. And then, and then finally, let me just read you this text again. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, Paul says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Last thing I want to tell you is this when we step out of God's framework for sex, He offers us forgiveness. Paul ends that section by saying, You are not your own, you belong to God. And he says, You were bought with a price, that Jesus died for you, uh, for your sins. And that should be a reminder to all of us that we are sinners and that we are broken, and we need forgiveness, and forgiveness is costly. It's a a big deal that Jesus dies for us. Um, And I I wanted to end there because I think this topic kicks up a lot of guilt in a lot of us. Um, There's a lot of things I could talk about from this stage that would not move the needle for you. I could say, you really shouldn't murder because the Bible says don't murder, and you'd be like, check, not murdered. What, what else you got? Well, you really shouldn't steal because don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Like, it's bad. And you'd be like, I've never stolen. I've never shoplifted. I just, I don't steal things, okay? i say, don't gossip. You shouldn't talk about people badly behind their back. And you would be like, mostly I don't do that. I'm, <laughs> you know, I think we'd all be like, oh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. I don't, you know, like I've tried to watch what I say. You know, so there's so many things, like I say, that like it might not land close close to, to the bone, right? But when you talk about sex, everybody goes. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, like yeah. There's some because mm-hmm. we all have ha, have or have had that addiction to that thing. We 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 have that night that we wish we didn't have. We have that story. We had things that we've done that we've, we hadn't done. We have things that happened to us that were awful. Like we, we have a connection to this topic and it's, and it's deep um, and, it is, and it is a big, a, a big deal. We, you have something that you're like, man, 10 years ago, five years ago, last year this happened, last week this happened, last night this happened and you're sitting here and you go, oh man, you talk about sex like this, this like brings up the guilt, and the shame, and it sort of washes over me. And I, and I understand that. Um, but I want you to know that there's nothing that you or I have done that can't be forgiven by God. And, and when he tells us to flee from sexual immorality, we are running to something, he is right there with us, cheering us on as we run. And so I hope in this church this is a place that you can talk to someone. And you can confess, and you can find someone in your small group or a discipleship group or someone, and you, you pull someone aside and you go, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Can you, I, I need to tell you about this. Can you walk and pray with me about this? Um, because I think there's a place for that here. Um, so our culture is uh, so messy on all of this, right? It's, it's all over the place. And we'll talk about it uh, a little more Next week, because I think our culture is sending confusing and conflicting messages about all of all of these things, um, and it's and it's pretty broken. And it's my hope that by talking about it, we will give others the courage to speak up. Uh, it's my hope that we will um, maybe handle it differently. That we will um, we will walk differently than the culture around us, and that we will speak up courageously and say some different things than the culture around us. And, and, uh, and, and maybe show the world that there's a, a different way to be when it comes to uh, some of these hard topics around sex. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, give us the courage to confront whatever we need to confront from the Scripture today, to, to, to dive into that idea and, and make some adjustments. God, if there's something we need to run away from, Um, God, may today be the day we laced up the shoes, the running shoes, and we started to run away. Um, God, if there's things we're hiding from, I pray that they will be brought out into the light, and we'll talk to a trusted friend and confess and speak up. God, for the waves of guilt and shame that wash over us, um, God, I think guilt can be a a good thing from your spirit prompting us and, and convicting us and telling us to change. I think shame is not how you work. I think shame is um, sort of like the chronic guilt kind of idea. And so I, I, I pray that that, uh, that has no place here, that we feel the guilt and conviction and we move forward and change, but we don't um, chronically beat ourselves up in, in shame. Um, God, is a, topic, uh, a tough topic that, that touches all of us. And it's hard to navigate because of the water that we swim in. Um, but God, help us to sort of recalibrate um, our worldview on this so that we can align with the truth of how you made us. God, we know that in this and in, it, in all things, you, are, uh, you work for the good of those who love you, and you are for our joy and for our highest good. God, may we, may we not settle for less than, than what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.